Welcome to The Deep End, a podcast brought to you by DigitalOcean. In this episode, Sasha DeWitt and Domingos Bruges, co-founders of Musly, discuss how their tech stack has evolved to support the product. They share insights from data generated by consumer IoT devices, how they approach consumer privacy, and data production. Are you a scaling startup? Here's $100 to try out DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash deepend100 and redeem your credit today. Hi, I'm Dave Worth. I'm sitting here with Domingo Bruges and Sasha DeWitt. And we're going to talk about growing Muslim today, I think. How did you choose the name? Uh, that's a nice story. So, in fact, we have no story. So, we just wanted a name that didn't exist in the market, uh, that had no meaning and no uh, harmful meaning in any part of the world. But we tried to find out a, a name that was friendly. Uh, so we researched and we got this name. Yeah. Super cool. <laughs> How did the uh, founders team come together? How did you guys meet? That's also interesting. So our company, uh, when, we, when we started the company, Musli entered the Texas uh, acceleration program. Um, I met Sasha at the program. Um, and immediately we found a connection. Sasha was helping the company through Texas, and after the program, Sasha just joins as a co-founder. That's great. And doing this is one of the only people I've ever met who I can travel with for days on days and uh, and work and talk to nonstop and not get sick of. So if it works, if there's someone where you're 24 hours on planes and traveling and you still get along at the end of the day, it seems like it's a good co-founder match. So you mentioned like the money raising thing. How did that process go for you? Uh, so uh, I guess all startups say the same. So the vision was big, um, and we really need to build or to focus on product over growth. So we had like two years ahead before going into market. So we need to raise a significant amount of money. So with the PowerPoint, with the team and the, the right investors, we raised like four and a half million dollars as seed money. It was a, a, a big process, um, and we did it on the first six months. Um, it was quite e efficient, but, and it worked. So, it's excellent. You started in Portugal, and then Techstars was in Boulder, I think, and now you're in San Francisco. That's yeah. kind of a lot of moves. Settling in San Francisco is kind of a place where many people go now. How has that been experienced in moving to SF and, and setting a camp yeah. there? So we started in Portugal as having the technical team. So all the engineering, uh, the data science and the engineering team is in Portugal. And we immediately went to SF due to the relations, as we are an IoT platform, the relations with the manufacturers. Um, and that was also part of our product development. So manufacturers are our partners. Uh, once we started to, to, to go into the market and the sales process, uh, we went to Techstars in New York. Oh, uh, so part of the, the Techstars IoT program? Yeah. Uh, so it was, it was uh, separate from yeah. the Boulder program. It was very specific for being for working with IoT devices and any connected yeah. part. Yeah, so that was the strategic steps. Build the product, keep growing the product, and then the sales activity in the East Coast. Sure. So that's actually really interesting to have the tech team still in, in Portugal and be in SF. How do you kind of manage that remoteness? Yeah, um, well, the iron engineering in SF is quite complex for us. And Lisbon, as you see, is quite attractive. So it's easy to attract talent right now. And we are taking advantage of it. So it's difficult. So what's been kind of the biggest surprise in your journey from a PowerPoint to where you are now? Ah, uh, well, 
It was, it's a three years plus journey, so a lot of surprises. One of our biggest uh, events was always when we were changing from product to growing the product or to scale and then getting customers. All these uh, points were challenges for us. Uh, that uh, Some of them made us pivot a little the product or the market or the customer itself, the industry that we were targeting. So I would say it's a three years old company, so there are a lot of um, marks on, on our on our path. Yeah. Sure. So have you had to make any changes to say support? Like the support story is always kind of a different one from the development story, right? Have you had to adapt to that in any way, or is that pretty natural? Um, so the the we maybe you would like to answer that. Yeah. So so like I said before, so once we started, we had this B two C app, and we we're working with uh, with primarily with consumers and building out. Uh, a way to connect people, have people connect their homes and, and control their connected devices and from there realized that there actually was a huge untapped potential for working with work with uh, on the B2B side, uh, working with insurers, working with utilities uh, and that really there's a demand for being able to access that data and really be able to have insight into what people's day-to-day -day lives were like and use that to create better products for customers. So for example right now our biggest push and the biggest thing that we've learned is that there's a demand on the insurance side to have a deeper understanding of like what is it like inside someone's home, inside this home, this asset that we're that we're covering. Uh, and so so I think a, a big sort of sort of surprise and learning experience for us was like, oh okay, so instead of this really cool uh, connected home product, we actually have like this wealth of data that's valuable outside of just what we originally built. Yeah, we are trying to change and we are changing how people see uh, their privacy. So we really believe on our uh, customers or on our users' right to privacy. So, and people today see their personal data as something that others want to steal or tap into. And, and the thing is that their personal data is an asset that each person owns. And they can do whatever they want with it. The important thing is for them to be completely aware of what's being shared, with whom, and how it's being used, and if it's being resold or transmitted to third parties. And this is where we are tapping. So, uh, building knowledge around each person uh, day in the life, uh, profiling each, each person, uh, and allowing this person to take advantage of its own asset, that is the data that the person owns. So, yeah. That's super interesting. Um, do European data privacy laws kind of influence any of that? Because I know they're very different in the US and... They do. <laughs> so, mostly today we are GDPR compliant, so we are fully compliant with the European laws, which kind of waves almost all of the restrictions all over the world. So, uh, but we have a huge push in terms of product to be compliant. So, in terms of security, privacy, features, sure. Super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's one of those fascinating things where people suddenly just put listening devices in our house, right? Both yeah. explicitly, yeah. like, yeah. 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 and also like our watches. I had a friend who's a super privacy dork who's wearing an Apple Watch one day. It's amazing, right? Like, so question, you're so worried about your privacy, you literally have a listening device. Uh, yes. Dominguez is a cybersecurity expert nerd too, so it, it comes with the territory. Yeah, yeah. my background is on cybersecurity, and this is what, is mainly the reason why we built Muslim, is that um, you should be in control of your data, um, and it's not a problem to be generating data and taking advantage of products that listen to you, as long as you know what they are doing. So we really believe on transparency, on being open. And 
So how do you execute on that? How do you surface that data to customers? Yes, so uh, it all starts today with uh, um, devices or sensors that collect your data. But we also insource data from cities, from all your context data, the weather, the traffic, if there's a strike in the city and so on. Uh, we insource all that data, we profile it, so we put all our analytics on top of it, and then to our customers we provide real-time engines saying this person started to commute, this person is going to commute to work, um, so they can then, on their products, build the right decision or suggestion to their customers. So if they know that you are commuting to work, probably they can suggest to adopt something on your office space or try to deliver something because you are arriving at the same time. So. Yeah, that's super interesting. So do you also look to feed that back to municipalities, excuse me, municipalities for... Uh, for like city planning and things, because it seems like you have a secondary impact. Uh, there are a lot of industries where we can uh, fit into, uh, but as a startup we need to focus, and as Sasha was saying, the insurance space is a space that today, uh, if you look to the old insurance companies and like the 20, the 60% of the market is covered by companies that have more than 100 years. And these companies are struggling to find bond uh, or to re uh, create laces and relationships with, with their customers. No one wants to talk with their insurance company because typically they solve problems. That's why they, they see the insurance space for. So uh, they are really focused on understanding more about you so they can engage with you. Imagine you are uh, one third of your time outside home uh, and what if the insurance company starts saying, hey, use your lights to simulate presence, that way you will reduce the probability of uh, an intrusion by X. So they are engaging with you, making you have safer and uh, healthier habits, for example. Yeah. Super interesting. So you, you spoke about, like, we didn't focus on all the things. Every engineer wants to do like, that, 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 that. How do you kind of internally maintain that laser focus? I know we have to focus on insurance. This is key. Uh, we didn't start focus, so when we started we were like a development language. Anyone could use us, we could fit anywhere. The thing was that as time was progressing and we needed to start doing sales, uh, we didn't have the resources for all, so we just needed to tap into a, a space. Um, yeah. And on the insurance side, uh, so starting off here, we brought on five clients from different verticals and found that the largest client that we had, which is Allianz, um, was was sort of, was one of the largest markets, and so just honed in. I was like, where can we really have the most impact? And that led decision from there. That's super cool. How does that kind of uh, focus, deciding to focus on a space, influence like people that you have? Did that change the shape of your development team or your sales team or anything else within teams or? So there are specific skills that you need to sell into a specific industry, and that. The thing is that the company, before building that team, uh, decided to research what was the vertical. So after we decided it was insurance, we started to build a sales team for insurance. The product team, uh, we need to have, of course, to onboard the team into this decision, because saying that working for the insurance might not be the sexiest thing to say to a team, <laughs> so you need to explain the value that you are bringing to the game and the, how you are changing people's lives. So in, today, our team really believe, believes that what we are doing is um, promoting sa safer, healthier habits on people and changing everyone's lives and the insurance space as well. Sure, super cool. Um, so what does your tech stack kind of look like? What is, it sounds like it's probably a lot. Yeah, so if you look at Muslim, we are 
We are an IoT platform as technology. So on one side, we connect with 200 plus IoT vendors, like Nest, Fitbit, all, all those, and we have a way to do it in a couple of weeks or a couple of days to one, two, week, two weeks, which is quite fast to onboard a new uh, device or manufacturer into our platform. Then we have a real-time uh, engine that makes all the different manufacturers interoperable. So uh, one event coming from one manufacturer can talk with another, so Muslim bridges or merge all in the same technology. For this, we built our own, um, uh, our own engine and logic on top of Redis, that is a, um, uh, a stack that we use. Uh, and then uh, for the real-time communications, we have layers or adapters that provide communications on MQTT, HTTP, any kind of protocol, from real-time to other protocols. Then, all this data that is generated by the IoT devices and the uh, uh, data that uh, is in source from the city, from commutes, from all data, we uh, inject it into a big data sink. Uh, today we use Spark and the Hadoop family. Um, then we have all our big data analysis on top of it and once again the result of this big data analysis goes back to our real-time engine that then uh, we allow the insurance companies, our customers, to tap into uh, so they receive the data. So, oh, super interesting. Yeah. So, so a day or two days to, like, to, to a week for onboarding a whole new technology yeah. is really fast. Yeah, it's quite fast. So what have you done to, to enable that? Is there some tooling you built? Yes, so um, part of the process is made through a visual tool. So when a device is onboarded on Muslim and the manufacturer joins, it starts by going to a visual tool and starting to describe the device. Imagine like the Nest thermostat. They would start saying, okay, the, the thermostat is a component, Inside the thermostat, I have the temperature that is a property, the status on off is a property, the feels like temperature is another property, then this property belongs to a class, the values range from X to Z, um, and once they do this, Muzzle starts to understand which device is being connected to it. Then they just need to build a small adapter that connects their APIs with ours, and they, so it's a very, very fast process. And this was one of our strategic moves when we started the company to make this process fast. And there aren't really industry standards in the way those APIs look, right? Uh, or, are, or are there? I'm just wrong. If we are calling like HTTP and MQTT a standard, yes. Uh, but uh, today we are seeing best practices uh, being uh, widely used, but uh, it was not like that three years ago, for sure. Even if you look to IoT three years ago, um, IoT where things should be connected among themselves, there were closed ecosystems. So no, no one was speaking with each other, there were no APIs and so on. So how many IoT devices are in your houses? Um, or apartments or where? Oh, so, so mostly we have a B2C approach that is our own app. And then we have our B2B product. On the B2C approach, uh, we have more than 300k devices. No, he means in your, I mean, own, in your house. Oh, also an important question, but a great answer. Uh, I was trying to avoid that. Oh. Yeah. I was trying to avoid that. Uh, if you go to Best Buy and see anything that's for sale, that's probably like what, what's in so your 10,000 devices everywhere. And then I send to my friends the, the ones that I don't yeah, remember that I have. There's even extras just like sitting in his in his in the trunk of his car. They're just yeah. waiting to be that's tested right. out. Uh, whereas in mine, I think it's only a handful of uh, like speakers and Fitbits and, and Nest thermostat. 
Um, so I am not fully fully set up. Oh, and I got light bulbs. The, yeah. the hue, I know the Lifex light bulbs, which are cool. <laughs> yeah, I, the hues arrived in my house one day. I was like, what's that glowing box behind my <laughs> switch? <laughs> Called my wife's like, what's this? Oh, I, I got a bunch of hues. Like, oh, I wanted, to, I wanted a separate network for my IoT thing. Oh, yeah. like, it's not that you can't have them, but warn me. Uh, no warning, it's fine. <laughs> I would have great light bulbs. <laughs> and a Sonos, and now it's just. Yeah, <laughs> No, what's cool, there's, uh, when ASUS was at CES one year, uh, they set up a demo where you could control Domingos' house from from CES, and so you could, like, do the Muzzly app, which was, yeah. which was pretty cool. cool. It's like, everything is cool. And then we were seeing, so we had, like, a, a video wall with multiple areas of the house, they can control it, like, turn on the sprinklers, easy stuff. But uh, what was pretty cool was seeing the data that was generating and seeing the, the models that that were being influenced by the data and seeing all the data flowing and the profile that was being generated was pretty cool. Sure. Yes. That's super cool. Yeah. Uh, I was actually going to ask, uh, like how has the data that you were actually gathering started to change your own lives? Do you, do you feel the impact of your own work in your life? So what I feel is that today I really know which data is being generated and our data, like a raw data from a device, can mean a total different thing. For example, when you press a switch on the wall to connect a, a light, um, the data is the light is on. But what Muslim first with it is there's physical activity in that room because someone physically pressed the wall, the switch. So, and this is what I really feel is the power of data uh, and how much that data could represent more than, than the value itself. So, yeah. Yeah, like secondary effects. Yeah, and it brought me awareness. Yeah. So uh, how has that experience been? Like, what, what have we done for you and how, how have you felt in the program? Yes, so uh, when we joined the, the program, uh, we were in a scaling phase for customers, but we were also feeling the, the, our system getting into uh, under load, a significant amount of load. So that is the moment you, where you need to focus on scalability, on the product, things that you probably don't think on when you prototype and then you use the same code to keep evolving the product on top of the prototype. <laughs> um, and also other components like security, infrastructure, not really the infrastructure, but how to architecture the connection between your software layers and uh, where things are running. Um, and of course your team helped a lot. A lot. So how, have there been any like, technical decisions that like have, have changed now that you have Hatch and that, that level of support? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So the brainstorming with the, the, your architects really helped on making decisions. So Muslim is a small company, we are like less than 20 people. And when you have less than 20 people, they are overlapped roles and people that decide by themselves. Uh, and it's much better when you have uh, someone uh, brainstorming with the outside perspectives that have done it before and so on. Sure. So that's really these are an always interesting conversations. How do you how do you hire? How do you think about the people that you hire? Is there kind of like a culture around hiring that you've embodied or like what is that's your approach? Yeah, so we have multiple stages on hiring and on the different stages of the company. And different stages of the company require different skills, different uh, mindsets. Um, so when we started the company, we just needed full stack everyone. So anyone that could do anything from making a pilot, the commercial part of a pilot to code, it, it was what we want. Today we want people that are very focused and they are, that they have expertise on specific areas. Um, 
we, we have the engineering team in Portugal, as, you, as we have been talking, so it's easy to find talent and good people here. The thing is that we really are taking advantage of programs like Edge because we can bridge the good technical skills with people or teams that have built for scale. And that way you can really take advantage of a very nice ecosystem like Lisbon and the companies and the teams that you get surrounded with. Yeah. Super interesting. And scaling is kind of a, a complicated thing. You scale in a lot of ways in a company. Yeah. Which has been the most challenging way to scale? Has it been business? Has it been people? What What are the challenges of scaling? Yeah. So I think for for us right now, the challenge is, is scaling on the on the marketing and business side, and that's that's where our, our focus is because we have the technical team in place. Uh, but you never have enough engineers <laughs> ever. And our CTO would definitely say that. Uh, but yeah, right now, um, I guess one of one of our challenges is finding the right people for going out and and bringing in new customers, because that's what allows us to bring on more engineers, right? It's a little bit sure. So what are you doing? What what have you learned in, in that process of trying to figure out how to hire those people? Has there been like big indicators you've learned? Or? Um, I think part of it is also is just tapping into the network that we have and using using people who you know who are part of the part of our ecosystem to, to source to, to source the right people, recommend people who have been in the industry, like we said before, in insurance industry, work find people who, who have a deep knowledge of that set. But I think the biggest part is really have, and also having an ex like we said with TechStars, having a network that you can access. Uh, sort of makes it a lot easier because you know there's just high quality people that are being funneled through. Yeah, the programs like HR or Textiles are really, really important because there's always the friend of the friend, the, the person that you are connecting with, so uh, it's also a very good way to, to scale and to grow the team. Anyone say anything but that? Yeah, like, that's yeah the and there's nothing new to that, but I it's guess, really like a deep. It's it's sort of it, it's something to always be reminded of. Like that's that's really important. To I guess part. that uh, with our stage and the size of our company in terms of team, uh, recommendations are really important. So bringing people on board just because they were, or mainly because they were recommend, recommended by someone, is a, a key for our decision. Um, probably when we get. Four one four zero five people. Like. Four hundred twenty people. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you tapped out. Probably we just start harvesting everyone, but <laughs> today we just uh, trust on recommendations. So if you had to, start, if you got to start all over again, what one thing would you change, or what few things would you change in the history? Uh, I would start surrounding myself in the company by earlier in early stages by people that have done before. Either building the company, either scaling, either having contact with customers, even before going into the sales process. Uh, feedback and mentoring is is very very important. So, so I, I have to ask, and this is completely out of order. It's been the back of my adult. There's like this vast amount of data. Obviously, there's kind of data science that plays in. Um, can we talk about the models, or is that super secretly? So, what what types of like high-level machine learning technologies do you bring to bear? So we combine, um, we are not dogmatic in terms of approach, so we have our product roadmap defined on the outputs that we want, mainly due to the industry that we are working with, now insurance, um, and based on those profiles we try to find the, the best approach. So we do everything from NLP to direct association, someone press the switch, physical activity. So we touch everything 
from uh, what touch. We, we try to avoid all the fancy words like AI, machine learning, uh, but we are all over. So, so And our team that executes, we have a stack of data science and then engineers to implement it. Um, as a small team, the data science also implements, so um, yeah, that's it. So this is definitely going to be edited back into the right place, but the question I also should have asked earlier. Uh, tell you about uh, kind of, you, you talked about technical scaling um, and moving to scale. Has that been kind of horizontal scaling? Has that been vertical scaling? How do you, how have you had to approach that? Yes, so today Mesley completely relies on horizontal scaling. Um, we just horizontally put additional processes, and machine servers, and everything scales. Uh, we were not like that in the beginning, so we had a lot of challenges. So all our scanning is horizontal. So today is a matter of having a good partner providing us the ways for us to be elastic and just scale horizontal. So, so how do you kind of technically build that, that elasticity? Oh, so depending on the components. So looking to our main core component that is the real-time engine where everything flows. What we have is a, um, a set of logic that orchestrates where the, the requests are made and then just offloads them into specific nodes that are regionally, and the decisions are made by proximity, round trip time, um, customers that have their own instances and they just have one or two. So there's business logic involved for it uh, and we also license according to, to this scalability method. So. Sure. Do you actually um, scale multi-regionally to provide yeah. low latency? We do, we do. So um, we federate all our nodes across the world. Um, we don't have data, data centers, of course, we use providers like DigitalOcean. And uh, what we do is when we detect when the other customer is coming from Hong Kong, we probably route to the nearest or to the to the cloud that has the shortest round trip time. We monitor this all over, all over the day, so multiple times a day, to understand if there is congestion and so on. So we are not on the infrastructure space, but we also monitor and route based on, because performance is important. So if you want something, if you want a good experience turning on a light, you really need to be very fast. Yeah. Click, wait 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that's really interesting. Um, you kind of alluded to being multi-cloud as well, which yeah. is, Another challenge, right? Yes. First, it's multi-region and multi-cloud, yes. and then monitoring across those. Yes. Do you build your monitoring infrastructure also within uh, or do you? How do you kind of escape cloud inception? We built our monitoring scripts. So what? How we understand some, something is uh, uh, with a, a downtime or not? But then we rely on monitoring platforms uh, from our providers, um, and also we also built a backup infrastructure so today we can just uh, uh, off, uh, um, uh, shift all our infrastructure to a backup one in less than two hours which is quite amazing mm -hmm. uh, so it's a two hours downtime if it happens but uh, it's a big infrastructure so right now so yeah we build it a lot it's three years <laughs> sure. Do you do any uh, chaos engineering? Do you ever simulate just like sorry region X in Cloudflare Y is gone how do we fail over? Or yeah, we do in multiple areas. Even in the customer perspective, not the infra, not the connectivity to the internet. For example, we simulate a router that is dropping packets and stuff like that. Yeah, we do. That's fine. That's my favorite part. Yeah, it's fine. And I'm a, a technical CEO, so I really enjoy the the company. Being good.
How do you balance that? Because sometimes the technical CEO can be a monster because they want to do both sides of the house, and other yeah. times they balance it really, really well. How do you kind of approach that? I have a co-founder. <laughs> <laughs> sounds, great. sounds like the answer is have a great co-founder. The answer is always have a co-founder. <laughs> <laughs> this has been great. It's been so much fun to talk to you. Thank you. It was a pleasure meeting awesome. you. Thank awesome. you. Awesome.